wanted to come to a passage today on our last Sunday in this room together and reflect for a little while with you on my joy and gratitude for you. And as I was just perusing through the various epistles that I thought were most moving towards that, I landed in Philippians. So take them, your Bible and look to Philippians chapter 1. We'll just talk through for a moment about the joy and gratitude that I have and probably you have as well for Meadowbrook. You know, when writing his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison. At that moment, he was facing capital charges for the gospel ministry that he had been so richly part of. His leadership had been questioned by usurpers within the church. And those facts, just thinking through them about this great letter give me better perspective to serve and to lead the church in challenging times I've come to this conclusion amidst hardship adversities and attacks Paul stayed eternally focused and thereby joy-filled I don't mind telling you I desperately fail in this area and maybe you do as well so it's been good to be back in this text to be reminded about what God has given to us, afforded to us in Christ Jesus, and to live out the exercise of that which belongs to us by Him. As he explained in his letter to the Philippians, Paul thought often of them. With fondness, he reflected back on a vision that he had of a man from Macedonia, urging him, saying, Come, help us in Macedonia. And Paul immediately left to go on that missionary journey, believing that God had called him and his friends to preach the gospel there. If you remember, he is in Troas, which is modern-day Turkey, and he determines by the call of God to go into the region of Macedonia. And he lands here and begins to serve in Philippi, which is now Greece. And he begins to do his work there in that ministry in that Roman colony. When he entered the town, as he always did, he went what he hoped to be the Jewish synagogue. But there's no Jewish synagogue in Philippi. There's not enough Jews to make up a synagogue. It takes ten men to come together and form a synagogue. And there were not ten Jewish men in that Roman colony. And so, after a few days of ministering, Paul and Silas, along with Timothy and Luke, They go outside the city gate, and they see some women who are gathered for prayer right at the riverbank. They begin to share the gospel with these women. One of them, if you remember, his name is Lydia. She is from Thyatira, and she is a worshiper of God. She doesn't know who the Lord Jesus is. But as Paul begins to open the gospel account to her, to share with her the scriptures, The Bible says that the Lord opened her heart that she might hear and understand Paul's words. That is a big point of the gospel that you and I need to take refuge in. God opens our hearts. God opens our ears that we might hear and we might understand. And God gives faith that we might exercise that faith in receiving his gospel. And she trusted Jesus Christ. She trusted in him. She surrendered herself to him. And she was baptized along with all of her household. So the whole family gets saved after hearing the gospel. And they become the first of the Christians who will make up the church there at Philippi. 
Now, the church's birth at Philippi is one of my favorites of all the early church accounts. It's rich in history. But the conditions are not idyllic. If you remember, almost immediately, opposition and persecution comes up against Paul and Silas and the others. And one of those occurrences early on, there was a little girl that kept chasing after them, declaring who they are and what they're there for and announcing that they're belonging to God himself. And Paul, somewhat aggravated that this demon was trying to associate himself with the gospel ministry, turns and at one point exercises that demon, casts that demon out of that little girl. Now, you would think everybody would be ecstatic about that, that they would be so happy and pleased about that. But the owner of that little slave girl wasn't very pleased because his source of income was now gone as the spirit of divination had left that little girl. And he immediately had them thrown into jail. And there Paul and Silas suffer the lictor's whips as the rod comes upon their back for casting out a demon. Surprisingly, the evangelists are still filled with joy. And if you remember, through the night, they are singing psalms of praise to our God. They are worshiping him in the night. They're so joy-filled, not because they had suffered so physically and otherwise. They are so joy-filled because the gospel now had root in another continent. And the gospel was moving further to the ends of the earth. You'll find the rest of the story in Acts 16, including the salvation of the jailer who is listening to them as they are rejoicing with the Lord and ask them a very simple question, what must I do to be saved? And if you remember, their response is the response that is still echoing throughout the world today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And the men shared the gospel with him. And sure enough, he and his entire household were saved and baptized. Lydia's family and the jailer and his family and perhaps some of the other women who were hearing the gospel initially at that Riverside prayer meeting gathered together to form the church there in Philippi, the church that Paul loved deeply. I think it's that that drew me to this passage. I wanted something to reflect the deep love that Kay and I have for you, our deep appreciation for you. You have been a church that has triumphed, and you have given and served in ways that few churches do. And I wanted to tell you how encouraged I am by you and how my heart is filled with joy for you. But we can't walk away from that narrative without contemplating three significant truths. They are that, though not always in traditional ways, God is working in people's hearts through his general revelation. We ought not walk away from that. We ought not think that God is not always at work. The Lord Jesus said it of himself, my father is always at work and so am I. When it seems that there was no worshipers around Philippi, the Holy Spirit revealed a group of women who were at the riverside worshiping God. And those God had already been moving in 
with the general revelation of God that is on demonstration throughout creation, with the movement of the Holy Spirit, these women were already worshiping God. And at the right moment, he used Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to open to them the gospel truth. And the Holy Spirit was very much engaging them in that process, and he brought them into the kingdom of God. I want you to be mindful. God is always moving. When you think in my school, in my work, in my neighborhood, in my family, God is not at work, listen to me. God is always, always at work. You can rest in that. Secondly, as revealed by Paul and Silas, hardship and suffering don't stop God's movement. In fact, it often advances it. Now, sometimes we turn myopic and we say, oh God, why is this happening to me? And really, Paul and Silas didn't ask that. They were asking God, what are you doing around me? Even with the wounds on our backs, even with the pain and the suffering, what are you doing around me? They recognized that God was going to use this moment as an advancement of his kingdom because his kingdom is always advancing. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. It's always moving. And so important for us to realize that in the current cultural climate, and I do believe it's going to get a little bit more antagonistic against the Christians and churches in our day, we need to recognize that God is always advancing and moving, even in the midst of suffering and hardship. When the world around us tries to cancel us and our message and our ministry and our worship gatherings, we need to remember that God's kingdom is advancing. Don't be worried. Number three, temporary setbacks and persecutions cannot remove the joy of Christ given to us if we stay focused on the eternal kingdom of God that is forever advancing towards completion. So you and I, we can learn from Paul and Silas and the others to stay eternally focused. Know that God's kingdom is not only moving and growing, but it's moving towards the completion of it. Now, those are three areas that I think we would do well to just receive as insights from God. But now let's go to Philippians chapter three, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul writes, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and i'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of christ jesus it is right for me to feel this way about you all because i hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I couldn't help but be astounded by the opening words of this letter where Paul writes, I thank my God. I'm astounded by that because you have to remember where Paul is in the midst of his life circumstances. His name despaired, his leadership questioned his message denounced his freedom removed his life soon to be taken and yet he thanks God for the place for what he's experiencing he thanks God in the midst of it 
He's wrongly imprisoned, soon to be executed, but yet he is thankful to God and remains joyful. And he repeatedly called for Christians to stay joyful. Now, I know it's not the central theme throughout the letter of the Philippians, but you will find it consistently throughout the letter. Paul constantly says, be full of joy. Let your joy be filled. In fact, he says it very succinctly in chapter 4 as he's winding up the letter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, they're suffering. He's suffering. He will soon lose his life. But he is saying, I am full of joy, and so should you be full of joy. I'm suffering hardship. I'm suffering persecution. My life will soon be over. But I am joy-filled, and I want you to be joy-filled as well. So I want to just kind of walk through some points along the way and just settle into some of these truths that are being identified in God's Word here and Paul is reflecting on. And the first is this, that gratitude is an attitude, not a reaction. If Paul says in a commanding way, an indicative way, rejoice, then he recognizes rejoicing is a choice. It's not a reaction. It's an attitude of choice. I choose to be joy-filled. Our reactions and our attitudes that are uncharacteristic of Christ's nature are almost always the results of us focusing on something that is temporary. When we aim to understand the treasure of God's eternal purposes and ways, then we are filled with gratitude regardless of what we are experiencing in the temporary world. I wish I could just pause for a moment and let that one sink in. Because when I was writing that, I couldn't help but think of some of you individually. And some of you are going through incredibly difficult times. I want you to know in the midst of your hardship in the midst of your failing health in the midst of the crises that you have experienced and been inundated with that joy deep joy is yours in Christ but it can only be realized if you're focusing on what is eternal so when we focus on what is temporary then that joy just seems to shed off of us be stolen from us. That which belongs to us in Christ seems to be robbed away. So Paul understood the significance of life with joy, deep, settled joy, is to focus on that which is eternal, not the current temporary circumstances. Did he like being a prisoner there in Rome? No. But man, was he ever so grateful to be in Rome where he had longed for the gospel flag to fly triumphantly in that land. Could he have reacted negatively to his current conditions? Sure, but he saw those as temporary. He remained eternally focused. He understood that his current troubles did not compare to the wonder of God using them for something more glorious and more eternal. And that's where he focused. God, what are you doing? How is this going to advance your kingdom? How will this materialize for eternity? In fact, he writes about that later in this first chapter. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So the gospel is flourishing now. Among the imperial guard, the Roman imperial guard, Paul's life and ministry has now emboldened Christians so that they might be more pronouncing of the gospel. Caesar's household, he says, is becoming saved. What an amazing thing that is. Some of the house, the officials, the family members becoming Christians. In fact, at the end of this letter, Paul is going to say, hey, the people that are among the imperial guard and family say hello. How about that? Even when attacked from within the leadership there in Jerusalem in Asia Minor of the church, Paul responded well. He didn't like the persistent attacks against him and the gospel message. His written responses, though, have become some of the greatest writings of theology and doctrine that the world has ever read. So it has eternal purpose, doesn't it? Does anybody like church conflict? No, and Paul didn't like church conflict either. But the response to the conflict with an eternal view gives us some of the richest readings of the Scripture that we have. So his attitude was one of joy because he trusted God and his sovereign plan. And as we experience hardships and difficulties and trials and persecutions and the like, you and I who stay eternally focused can and will be filled with joy. God is in control and God is purposeful in every detail of our living. Trust him in that. Trust him. Secondly, joy focuses on people, not things. If you're going to be joy-filled, then you're going to be focusing on people in the kingdom of God, not things. It's evident from Paul's writing that he is a man of prayer, and prayer is essential for every righteous Christian who is going to walk effectively in Christian living and advance the kingdom of God. And as important as prayer is, and it is very important, so the subject of our prayers is important. So Paul was a praying man who prayed rightly, a few days ago, I took opportunity to read the 42 prayers of Paul that are listed in the scriptures. And the two subjects by far that are most commonly prayed are people and the kingdom of God. Do you know how many times Paul prays specifically about something, some possession, some need, something temporary? zero that doesn't mean that we don't go to our father who is loving and compassionate it means that we don't elevate those things above people in the kingdom of God listen what Paul is praying I thank God my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy Do you, are you hearing what he's praying there in every prayer he remembers the people of the church at Philippi he's not just praying for a select few he is mindful of them all and he's mindful of them all he has joy 
in his prayers for them. He thanks God for them. Now, don't think for a moment that everybody in the church of Philippi was amicable. They were not. They had people of various levels of spiritual maturity. They had people with different personalities. There were differences among them. There were shortcomings in them. Some people were easy to get along with, some not so. Some people were filled with righteousness and walked righteously, and others struggled and battled immensely with sin. Nevertheless, Paul was joyful in remembering them all equally. What a treasure that is. It just settles into the confidence that he has in Christ. For those who are cheerful and fun, exuberant to be around, Paul must be thinking of them with great remembrance and thanking God, blessing him for them, even joy-filled for them. And those who have been maybe not so much, whose personalities were not so joyful, whose lives were not so mature in Christ, God was giving Paul a joy-filled, thankful heart because Paul was certain that what Christ had begun in them, he would complete in the end. There would be a day that they too would be transformed in the likeness of Christ, and together for all eternity, they would be one together. And that gave him opportunity to be filled with joy. I'm like you. I come across people that are a little difficult at times. Maybe they say things that we don't want to hear. Maybe they do it in a harsh way. Maybe they are backbiting, backstabbing. You can be joyful for them, knowing that God is going to redeem them one day to the fullness, and that God will provide for them the nature of Christ in full in a glorious body. You can be joy-filled when you have an eternal scope like that. I'm deeply appreciative of every one of you. As I think about who you are and what you do and how you go about it, I am joy-filled. I want you to know that I am more deeply focused and eager to pray for every one of you in every prayer of mine. In fact, I'm somewhat convicted that that isn't always the case. Would you join me in that? Just in an affirming, loving, caring attitude for one another in every prayer of ours. Oh God, thank you for Meadowbrook. Thank you for the people. Lord, my heart is filled with joy. Even those who are somewhat bothersome at times, even the preacher saying some of the things that he says, oh God, I'm filled with joy and gratitude, for I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing in the midst of them, and I know one day they will be glorified as Christ is glorified, and throughout all eternity we will be one with you. Oh God, thank you for Meadowbrook. Would you join me in that prayer in this season of our lives? Number three, deep relationships build with gospel and mission connectedness. The strongest relationships among people who love Christ and love each other, those relationships of loving Christ and loving one another is like a three-chord strand, not easily broken. Paul the church at Philippi and partnership with Jesus Christ became that strong binding rope. They had more than a relationship. The word in the, uh, 
ESV is partnership. It's rooted in the same word that we know for fellowship, koinonia. It's, it's rooted in that word. So it's, it's more than just a relationship. It's a rich fellowship that comes intertwined by the Spirit of God with the connectiveness to the, the Lord Jesus himself. And so that togetherness, that partnership in the gospel is what outlasted the hardships and the distance from them and the time away from them. There was unity among them. They recognized that. Unified they were, that they were once sinners in rebellion against God, under the same condemnation of God, under the righteous judgment of God. They received the same mercy and the grace, the same measure of forgiveness by Christ Jesus, the same imputed righteousness, the same inheritance that all the saints get, and the same wondrous future hope that was theirs in Christ. They had the same commission, the same purpose, the same spirit to empower them unto the promises of God in Christ. They viewed themselves as unified. And I can tell you that is a powerful view then, and it is powerful today. We must see ourselves as a unified body. Be strong in fellowship. When Paul saw that they were spiritually weak, he fed them spiritually. He ministered to them in those ways. And when the Philippians saw that Paul was lacking financially, they gave sacrificially to meet his needs. They were focused on Christ and focused on one another, and that fellowship was rich and tight. That's what we need. That's what the church needs today. Not fracturing and pulling away and self-focused living we need togetherness we need fellowship and the spirit of god is giving it there were many opportunities that they took in those early days of the church of philippi if you think about it when lydia and her household are saved you know what the first thing that she decided to do come to my house stay with me this can be mission central for the region here you Timothy, Silas, Luke, stay here and you can work out of my house. She immediately got to service. And when the jailer understood the gospel impact, you remember what he did? Come to my house, let me feed you and let me bring healing to you. He served them immediately. See, the church at Philippi was coming together in the gospel and in ministry of the gospel. It flourished in that. And I can tell you that connectiveness that Paul had with the church of Philippi was rooted right there in service. There is nothing like building relationship and fellowship with other Christians than serving in mission together. Nothing like being connected in the gospel. Nothing like being connected in the ministry of the gospel. Your relationships will grow tight right there. Now, maybe you sit in the same places in this room. Next week, you're going to stake your claim in that new room. And you're going to say hello to the people around you, and you might even fist bump them or, God forbid, hug them. And that is beautiful. But there's nothing like side by side at the food bar at way of the cross and serving Jesus together. There's nothing like being at open hand side by side with somebody presenting the gospel 
there's nothing like serving on the field together in a short-term, a long-term mission. There's nothing like that connectiveness of being in the warehouse, boxing up food, readying for the distribution of the benevolent ministries of Meadowbrook. There's nothing like that that connects people. So I encourage you, get connected in missions. We'll help you. Get connected in ministry. We'll help you. This is the way the fellowship of Meadowbrook grows. If you want to have some information about getting connected, just send us a quick email. Info at mbchurch.com. Next week at the end of the corridor, as you're just about into the education building, is Mission Central. And it's a great place for you to get connected Stop by Mission Central and talk to somebody about how you might be involved. Number four, the completion of our work and mission rest in Christ. It's one of the most famous of all the verses in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Now, this promise, this true promise impacts us individually and it impacts us collectively. Now, almost every time I've talked about this verse, I've thought about it in an individual mindset. But in the context, Paul is not writing to an individual. Paul is writing to a church body. And when you and I think of it in terms, not just individually, but collectively as a church body, then this verse takes on a whole nother measure. Now certainly, what Christ began in me back in 1970-something, He will complete to its end. My salvation is rested in Christ Jesus. It's not based on my accomplishment. I didn't gain it, and I can't secure it. Christ gave it, and He alone secures it. He will complete our salvation. If you are genuinely saved in Christ, your faith given to Him, your life surrendered to Him, it is absolutely certain He will complete your salvation in the day of Jesus Christ. What He has done spiritually, He will do physically to you. All the realities of you being declared righteous will come to fruition in the day of Jesus Christ, and you will be made gloriously righteous in body as you already are in spirit. What he has declared over us will be given to us in full measure for the rest of eternity. You can be certain that what Christ began in you individually in salvation, he will bring to completion. It's just who he is. He's not a halfway God. He is a full, complete, perfect God. But in the context, I think Paul is writing to the church as well. And you and I can be confident that the ministry that God has called us to, called Meadowbrook to, will be complete in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe this is a good focus for us. Now listen, Meadowbrook has a 61-year history. And I believe that we have a future that sovereignly is ruled by God and the Holy Spirit perfectly supplies. So I am confident that He will bring to completion that work to which He has called us to. You are part of that God-honoring history. 
So I pray as people look back on our generation that we will be known more for just providing an incredible building for the generations of the future, great facility for ministry and worship and discipleship and on and on. But I pray that we will be known beyond that as a faithful people, a people filled with love for others, a people that reach out far and wide for the gospel of Jesus Christ, locally and abroad, a people devoted to our God, devoted to his word, and filled with joy. Not only am I trusting that the Lord has called us to that, I am completely convinced that he will bring it to completion in the day in which Jesus Christ appears. I want to be walking in that. When he comes, I want to be found faithful right there. I don't want to be focused on the temporary. I don't want to be given to the flesh. I don't want to be given to me. And I don't want you like that. I want us individually and collectively to be right where God wants us to be in faithful service so when he comes and he completes his work, it will be that we're one with him. I'm confident that God has called us to the task of ministry and he is going to complete it in Christ. Now how do we wrap this up? I think we do so by choosing gratitude by just focusing on the truth that God is at work and that there is eternal significance in every aspect of my life. That's a good way for you to think. God, I don't like what I'm experiencing. I'm not enjoying what I'm experiencing. But you are at work, and I am confident in eternity this is going to make sense. I choose joy. I choose to focus on that which is eternal. I choose to be joyful, focusing on people and the kingdom of God, and let it be evident in my prayers that the kingdom of God and the prayer for people is evident. Connect with others. Don't just connect to Meadowbrook. Connect to others at Meadowbrook in ministry and mission. Make it your life to serve side by side with others here, and you'll have rich rich fellowship with people at Meadowbrook and rest confidently that Christ who called us to this life will complete this by his glorious glorious living let's pray together oh father my heart is overwhelmed today at the journey that this church has been on. And here we are at the completion of this leg of the journey. Oh, the race continues. No doubt the finish line is not until we cross into glory. But Lord, what a leg this has been. What a run. I'm so thankful and joy-filled for these folks. I just want to thank you for them and pray for them be joy-minded for them. I'm thankful, Lord, that what you are doing in each of our lives, you will complete in Jesus' day. I'm thankful, Lord, that the mission that you have called us to is not dependent on one individual or a group of individuals, not dependent on me or my leadership. It's dependent solely on Christ Jesus. So, Lord, we choose to be faithful to him 
to be submissive, surrendered to him, to be filled by his spirit. And we bless you for that. So Lord, as we close this service on this final day of worship in this room, let us be directed in the right way from here on out. To the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen.